I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Gittos Llewellyn, uh, Swansea and Wales fan, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gittos Llewellyn. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin in Belfast, and I'm the former chairman of the New York Spurs. I'm a Spurs fan and a Northern Ireland fan, so uh, we're missing out this year. Yeah, and to wrap it up, I kind of uh, rep for both the U.S. and the Netherlands, uh, and so all four of us, <laughs> that's how math works, um, right. uninvolved at the World Cup, but it does give us an interesting neutral perspective, which we'll get to in a second, but let's start with kind of the highlight of the day as we record, which is Russia's pretty comfortable beating of Egypt, basically secures their way through into the next round, technically the best start ever for a host nation on goal difference, slightly better than Italy's, um, because uh, they've conceded just one goal to Italy's two. Um, how surprising has Russia's success been to you this tournament? Well, I, it's often cited, but uh, it, it is good for the tournament when the host nation, whoever it happens to be, gets off to a solid start. And really, you know, Russia couldn't uh, wish for a better start um, than this, especially given how poor they were in the in the run up to the tournament. Um, no one was really expecting them to. To click, but then again, they you know their their opposition teams that they played so far haven't really offered much of a challenge. In fact, I think that uh, that penalty that Salah scored this evening, uh, and we'll come on to to VAR that sort of led to the penalty. But I, I think that was the first shot on target that they faced in either of the two games. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, which is which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, it's good. I mean, some of their goals have been spectacular, and uh, I, I've been impressed with their the organization in their in their play. Um, but as I say, the two teams that they played so far uh, haven't haven't been uh, haven't pushed them particularly hard. So uh, so it's going to be interesting when they when they come up against Uruguay. Yeah, I I was before the um, tournament actually thinking that they would struggle to get out of this group, Russia. I thought. Um, they, I mean, when you look at the results before the World Cup and uh, as a Welshman, I mean, I was there in Toulouse uh, two years ago when we absolutely destroyed them at the Euros and they just looked like such a terrible team. And back then, I remember discussing with, with other Welsh fans, you know, this this country is going to be hosting a World Cup in two years' time. I mean, it, it, could, it could genuinely be the worst team ever to host a World Cup because... They just looked so old. There was no youth. There was no energy in the team. They looked so just uh, just directionless as as a, as a unit. Um, but and and for most of the last two years, I mean, it, it's looked like they've found the transition very difficult. Um, it's uh, it, it's the results have been awful. Um, let's be honest with it. I mean, I I think they went on a seven game winless run before this tournament. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, and and but. 
I mean, the fair play, they made the big call to get um, Chuchsoff in as, as manager. Um, he, he's a guy who's pretty easy to take the mick out of because he looks like the kind of manager Russia would have had back in 1970. Um, but fair play to him. He's he's really turned things around. He's got them playing with confidence um, and, and attacking and, and looking solid at the back. And they just look like a pretty well-balanced team at the moment. It is important to point out that the teams they've played against have been disappointing. I thought Saudi Arabia were, were a, a complete disgrace. I thought that the fact that um, we see that kind of level of performance at a World Cup isn't really right, if I'm honest. Um, not that I want to you know, say that yeah, you do, you don't want to criticise teams too much from uh, you know who don't have the kind of resources and the kind of football culture that that European and South American teams have, perhaps. But they were pretty awful in that match. And then um, tonight against Egypt, you could see that Egypt was suffering a bit, and and Mohamed Salah in particular was um, you know who's such a key player for them, didn't look fit and and didn't quite look ready for it, and and so. Yeah, they, they have had pretty easy games. But let's face it, if you beat anybody 5-0 and 3-1 at the World Cup, you've done pretty well. And I don't think they could have done much more, really. And I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see how they do in the final group game uh, against Uruguay. Uh, if they get a decent result there, then suddenly you're thinking, well, maybe actually um, the, the last 16 isn't the furthest that Russia can go in this competition. It's going to be pretty interesting to keep an eye on them. I think also another point was when they lost uh, Alan Zagoev in the in the yeah. first game, he could possibly have been the player that most of the opposing teams knew the most about and had prepared the most for. So it kind of you know threw uh, a spanner in the works there in terms of their preparation. But uh, I think that's Guros hit, hit it on the head here. The reason that this is such a compelling tournament so far is that no one really, really jumps out as being head and shoulders above anybody else, you know, when you think about it. I mean, you know, Russia, solid start, looks on paper like they're very strong. Uh, Set against that, you know, G- Germany, Argentina, Brazil have all made sluggish starts. Even even France uh, made tough going of squeezing out that win against, uh, against Australia. And, of course, we, you know, we'll t- come on to talk about England as well. But... Um, oh, and of course, probably the, the best two team performances have been Spain and Portugal, and it still just left them with a point each. So there's still yeah. everything to play for. And, and, and as is often said, you can't lose the World Cup in your first game. You can only give yourself more to do in the other two. And obviously, Russia are going through to the uh, to the last 16 now. But for everybody else, it's still the whole thing's still up for grabs, and that's what makes it so compelling. Yeah, I think you guys have made some really interesting points on Russia. Uh, I, I totally agree with the coaching turnaround, uh, especially because there was talent here. Cheryshev was supposed to be a high-level talent when he was at Real Madrid, never really developed. Artem Zuba was supposed to be this huge menace that had a really promising future, never really made it happen in his career. Jagoyev was supposed to make his big move a few years back, never did. And now it kind of seems like they're, well, <laughs> Barjagoyev, of course, because of the injury. But it seems like they're starting to get that kind of talent back out of these players, which is something the Dutch could desperately use um, at this point in time. But but all credit to them. As you said, some, some weaker opposition thus far. Um, but you can only beat the team in front of you. And thus far, Russia has certainly been doing that. Uh, as we mentioned, none of us have a uh, side at this World Cup. But I'm curious to get... Uh, your guys' take on, on which teams you find yourself kind of pulling towards or, or being magnetized towards and, and supporting in this tournament in the early stages? 
ones which have so far lost. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been rooting for teams thinking, oh, I, Joe, I think this team can, can do something. I think Morocco can give Spain and Portugal a run for their money, and they lost to Iran. I thought <laughs> Poland were kind of dark horses to go a long way, and they've lost today as well. You know, I, 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 and I'm scared now of rooting. Like Mexico have had a really good result against Germany, and I'm thinking, do you know what? They've got a great anthem. They play really nicely. They're on a good <laughs> run. They're a great footballing nation, but I'm not going to support them because I wouldn't wish that on the Mexican people to to have to carry me <laughs> and my terrible luck. Um, but yeah, I, I I I guess you know the the ones you you're always looking for the for the dark horses, the teams that are um, you know go, going to go out there and play exciting football, um, even if they don't have the kind of talent that that the other teams have. And I think um, when you look at I, I enjoyed watching the first half of Morocco's game against Iran. That's what I expected. I was disappointed in their second second half. Um, I, I quite enjoyed seeing Senegal pull off a shock today. They they have quite a lovable team. Um, when you look at some of the brilliant attacking uh, talent that they've got there. Um, so yeah, it's it's those kind of smaller countries who approach games with with the right mentality that you're thinking. Yeah, you go and show the rest of the world what you can do and surprise people because. Uh, unfortunately, the one kind of disappointment in this in this tournament so far is that it has been quite dominated by, by European teams. I think Euro- European teams have only lost two games to non-European teams um, so far in the competition. Um, and and, and you know, one of them is Germany, who are the favourites heading into the tournament. Which is crazy, which is absolutely <laughs> insane. And then you have Poland today losing to Senegal. Those are great results for the tournament because if you see kind of lesser European nations beating major African or Asian nations or, you know, it, it's, it doesn't really show the world game at its best. I, I don't think it's nice when the results are kind of um, more geographically even. So um, I, I, I'm hoping my one hope for the rest of the group stage is that, you know, the, the African Asian um, Central American and even some of the South American countries can just, up the game a little bit against the European countries. Yeah, that that all makes perfect sense. I mean, in tonight's game, I think I was I was probably rooting for Mo Salah rather than for Egypt. I think just uh, on the strength of his season, and I really wanted him to uh, to have a good game to go home with. But uh, although you know the fact that one of the one of the Egyptian players calls himself Trezeguet isn't isn't too shabby. You have to you have to respect that. <laughs> but I think. You know, where, where you and I are probably in accord is, uh, you know, as a Northern Ireland fan, it feels natural to, to back the underdog in every game. And luckily, there, there are plenty of them to go around. I mean, you mentioned Senegal, and, and that was a good performance um, for them today. And I, I had certainly expected Colombia to beat Japan. So that was a that was a turn up as well. But um, and, and, and there will come a, a point in the tournament, you know, where where England will be the underdog. And, and probably that'll come against Belgium in the, in the third game of their group. Uh, but by then, of course, they should they should have already sealed a place in the knockout phase, and it'll be interesting to see if the Belgians and and obviously we have a Spurs connection there, and I, I want them to to do well for that reason. Uh, one of the sides in the tournament that are having you know one of these golden generation moments. It's going to be interesting to see whether they can grow into the tournament as it progresses and and goes into the. Um, goes into the knockout phase. There was actually, just to digress for a second, there was a very interesting essay by Romelu Lukaku in the Players' Tribune the other day, Kev, I don't know if you saw it, about um, about him growing up in Belgium and mm. wrestling with, with what his Belgianness meant to him. 
Uh, and that that whole sort of concept of national allegiance, it, it, it actually put me in mind of, you know, how the how the French team that that, that won in 1998 came came together to, um, you know, to, to overcome that those divisions and and how other divisions in other teams have sort of uh, driven them apart. But um, but I think um, that the team I like probably like watching the most and sort of you know quietly rooting for is Iceland, uh, clearly because they're. They're not at a level where they should be remotely challenging any of the world's top nations, but you know you can't you can't help but cheer for them really. And and I don't know if you saw, but one of my one of my favorite tweets so far was um, the Icelandic FA tweeted that ninety nine point six percent of everyone in Iceland was watching the game against Argentina, oh, wow. to which uh, Alfred Finn Bogason tweeted, and the other zero point four percent were on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> The other, the other sort of rooting. Obviously, you can you know root game by game. I was I was rooting for for Mexico, obviously, to uh, to overturn the Germans, and that was fantastic. And uh, and then of course the the uh, the story about the earthquake, all the Mexican fans jumping yeah. at the same time, causing the the seismic shift. And and uh, I obviously was <laughs> was thinking about that uh, as a second earthquake. Um, and and I'd be interested to hear your opinion, uh, Kev, on. Uh, on the Landon Donovan advert, um, which, which probably caused some uh, a similar kind of seismic uh, reaction in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, so for those that don't know, Landon Donovan did a commercial where he's basically uh, uh, supporting Mexico at the World Cup since the, since the U.S. isn't there. Now, <laughs> it was very inflammatory and a lot of people disliked it because in the U.S. we tend to view Mexico as our biggest rivals in uh, football or soccer, of course, as it is more commonly known here. Um, so a lot of people were angry about that. But this is not a rare occurrence. This is not just Donovan. The sports media here for the last two weeks heading into the uh, tournament was all saying, well, if you're supposed to support anybody, you may as well uh, support Mexico, um, which has been a very strange thing. I mean, if, if you leave geography and politics out of it and just look at it as an athletic thing i think my favorite response to it was a uh, a guy from uh, the chicago spurs group that was like am i supposed to root for arsenal in the uh, europa league just because tottenham aren't in it and i thought yeah. that was a very nice multiple leveled burn um <laughs> so so i suspect it's because of the tv investment though that they mm. they want try and get as broad an audience as possible but then you know if you're if you're supporting mexico you're gonna you're gonna be watching it on uh univision or or telemundo rather than on fox yeah, especially on telemundo where you have the mexican commentators as opposed to yeah what is it fox uh i, I think they have a, a fox deportes or something like that um yeah. i don't really know but uh yeah uh, i've seen people telling me to go watch telemundo instead of the coverage on fox sports um, and that way you can avoid uh, hearing um, Alexi Lawless talk about football. So <laughs> there's, there's multiple benefits there. Um, for me, I, I tend to find myself kind of following my club allegiance. So that hasn't gone particularly well for Davinson or Hyungman's son for South Korea. Has gone well, obviously, for England and Belgium and uh, Denmark to an extent, although that match wasn't great. Although... Uh, Ericsson did get the assist on, on the winning goal and could have had a, a goal easily himself. Um, but I don't want to root for Ericsson too hard because, uh, not to put this out into the world, but he's one of those players that if he had a big tournament, got Denmark through to a later stage and scored a big goal, some people with bigger wallets than Tottenham might come sniffing. 
uh, even despite the wage uh, structure being broken there. Um, so I'm like half-heartedly rooting for Ericsson. Um, but uh, yeah, I mostly am following club allegiances thus far. But it's it's actually been really interesting watching as a neutral, not really having an investment. Because it's not only that, that you aren't rooting for a particular team, but you aren't like rooting against or for other teams in your group to get like the best chance of advancing either. So to just be a true neutral has been a very interesting experience. Not one that I'd like to repeat too frequently, um, but it has been interesting thus far. Um, with some of these new favorites for you uh, uh, internationally, has there been any goals that particularly caught your eye, either from them or, or from the tournament on the whole? I thought, I mean, looking at Mexico's, for example, victory against Germany, I thought it was a Lozano's goal. I thought that was brilliantly worked and brilliantly taken. Um, you know, high pressure situation um, showed the kind of composure that Mexico actually didn't have in front of goal for the rest of that first half. Um, yeah. I mean, they could have won by more, but that that was a, a genuine moment of quality from a player who could uh, emerge from this World Cup uh, as as a real star. Um, the other one that stood out for me was Senegal second against um, uh, Poland today. Just um, for <laughs> what on earth? Complete just craziness and the fact that it made Wojciech Szczesny look like um, a, a, I, I mean I, I know he wasn't entirely to blame for him but he still made him look stupid and that as a Swansea fan made me feel a little bit warm inside because it is an absolute travesty that he starts ahead of uh, Lukas Fabianski who is uh, among the best keepers in the Premier League um, so that, um, that 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 made me feel warm inside um, I'll be honest as for yeah, I can't really think of any other memorable goals from the kind of the the minnows in um, that. That sounds so insulting, especially coming from a Welsh fan. Um, but um, you know the 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 kind of the kind the surprise winners. Um, I mean, yeah, the the most of I guess the big goals have come from um, either losing teams or or the the kind of the bigger teams in the competition. But a bit of a shout out for Colombia's free kick today. Um, they lost, but that free kick was one of the goals of the tournament so far for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think for me, uh, apart from obviously Harry's late, late winner, uh, which was, you know, just perfectly Spursy. It was about time we had a Spurs, Spursy episode in inverse. Um, so, yeah, apart from that, I mean, my two favorites so far uh, have been uh, Dries Mertens' goal against Panama for Belgium. Um, that one where he just caught the volley yeah. perfectly and and it just it started that that just started their um, uh, their run from there. And and actually, the interesting thing also has been a lot of the games have have really the first halves have been pretty dull, and and frequently it's needed the first goal um, to to just spark it into life. And uh, my second favorite goal, I think, was was Denis Cheryshev's um, uh, second goal in the opening game against yeah, Saudi. Outside he, the boot. Yeah, I mean that was that was a lovely finish. So those two, I think, for me, are the best so far. Another yeah. one, sorry, mm-hmm. to, just to, just to cut in there. I think everybody went so crazy about Cristiano Ronaldo's free kick against Spain. People kind of forgot Nacho's strike in the same game, which I thought yeah. was absolutely oh, stunning strike. I mean, just caught it so crisply first time, and then whenever a shot goes in off the post. We saw it with Coutinho's effort as well. You know, when it bounces in off the post, that oh, that that just makes a goal aesthetically so much better. Um, so I th- I think it's it's strange that everybody's kind of been concentrating on on Ronaldo's, and you can understand why because it was such an, a brilliant free kick and so late in the game in such a big match. 
But um, I, I think Nacho's, especially since he, he you know, he's a defender, um, that gives him extra points as well. It, 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 that was a stunning strike. Ah, Gitto, I almost made it through. I was even going to talk about how very rarely do you get through two guests and then get to still have the one that you thought was the best on offer. And then you, you just nicked it. But no, I, I totally agree with you. And the fact that it went off two posts on the route and then made Notch's incredible, although you also mentioned the Coutinho one, which was pretty sublime in its own right. But we have seen plenty of goals, although it should be noted that uh, nobody has more goals than own goal uh, this tournament thus far with five which is uh, also pretty surprising. Also of note is the uh, very high rate at which um, goals are coming from set pieces. Uh, interesting to see if that develops or if that kind of normalizes over the tournament, but just figured that should be noted. Uh, Steve, I do agree with you on the Harry Kane goal, um, which I think people are kind of underrating. I think people on the whole underrate the difficulty of headers. Um, and to kind of generate that much power with the side of his head, I was very impressed by. And obviously the importance of the goal was obviously huge. As uh, three non-England supporters, but obviously kind of with ties into that football culture, uh, what did you guys make of England's performance? I thought they uh, they should have had the game won by halftime. And I think I hope they'll learn some lessons from that. Uh, I, I, for me, Trippier was the man of the match. I mean, even... The fact that he uh, was brilliant in the corner kicks, the free kicks still leave a lot to be desired. But uh, uh, his set pieces from corners um, and and the first time crossing that he uh, he comes up with are are fantastic. I mean, obviously Harry would get all the headlines from that game, but uh, but I thought Trippier was the was the solid man of the match. I thought Henderson had a very good game as well, and and it's good for Harry as the captain to have another Premier League captain alongside him. And that, that's kind of important. I was very impressed with, um, with Loftus-Cheek when he came on and Rashford as well did well. Uh, but as I say, you know, they should win the next game as well and guarantee their, their passage. Um, and then the real test comes uh, against Brazil and then, or Brazil, Belgium, sorry, and then into the, uh, into the knockout stages. But I, I think they'll have, I think they'll have learned from, uh, from the fact that they didn't put the game to bed in the first half when they really should have. Oh, and the the, the BBC commentator here at the end—I don't know if you uh, managed to get it. He um, he he said, "Okay, you can open your eyes and come out from behind the sofa now." And it, it did it did feel a little bit like that. You, as I say, you almost got this sense that it was going to be a Spursy episode in the second half that they were just going to keep pressing and keep pressing and not be able to to find the goal. But then uh, but then Harry was. Uh, had a little bit of space, and you know how lethal he is from there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I, th- I thought it was a pretty mixed performance from England. I was uh, very impressed by their performance in the first 20 to 25 minutes. I thought, yeah. um, you know, they, they, they missed so many chances, but, but the, the way they were creating chances and, and tearing um, Tunisia to pieces, it's not the kind of thing that we're used to seeing from England in a major tournament. Usually it's, it's the build-up from England it's it's stereotypically quite uh, rusty and 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 slow and, and disjointed. Where actually there was some really slick passing and movement, um, really using the best attributes of their attacking players um, to good effect in those opening minutes. Um, and and you know before Tunisia ever got that chance in the penalty spot, England should have been two or three, maybe even four up. Um, I, I mean Tunisia were extremely lucky. They were they were awful in the first half. Uh, to, I don't know if it was more to do with England being brilliant, Tunisia being shell shocked and not knowing what to do, but but England totally dominated the opening exchanges, and then you had that turning point. Then just out of nowhere, the penalty, and I think it it kind of stunned England a little bit. I, I I'm still actually undecided as to whether it should have been a penalty or not. I think by the letter of the law, yeah, you can see it's one of those. Some referees will give it, some referees won't. At, at any rate, it's it's kind of soft, even if by the letter of the law, it's, um, uh, it's, it, it's a correct decision. Um, but I think England just kind of slowed down a little bit towards the end of the first half. And then in, in the second half, they, I think it was a more kind of typical English performance in, in, in a tournament where, you know, they were level against a team who were trying to just park the bus and England did look very blunt. I thought that the, the, you know, they brought on Rashford, they brought on Loftus-Cheek and that gave them a little bit more, kind of energy going forward. But for much of that game, you've seen players just running into dead, just in, into dead ends, really. Um, and I, I, it got to the stage where I thought, well, actually, you know, England, it, it it looked bad for England that they couldn't break down what was a pretty mediocre Tunisian side in, in 45 minutes of football where they dominated the ball. Um, and, and But then, you know, right at the end, um, Tunisia did switch off and England, England capitalised. And that's, you know, it it goes to show what what a daft decision it was by Roy Hodgson to put Harry Kane on corners two years ago when you know England score two really good poachers goals from corners where Harry Kane is just given the freedom to to find some space in the box um, and you know for the first one and more more importantly for me an England point of view for the second one he he finally managed to wriggle free of the wrestling Tunisians and. Um, he ma- he managed to pick up some space at the back and reacted very quickly. Another player who uh, you, I don't think it's been mentioned so far, who I thought had a very good game for England, is um, Harry Maguire. 
Um, I think he's probably defensively their best centre back, um, and he's underrated on the ball too. Um, you know, often yesterday he was the one bringing it out from defence and uh, and and you know take, taking it forward more so than somebody like John Stones, who you would expect to perform that role. And I think Harry Maguire gets a little bit of stick because I don't know because he plays for a less fashionable club because. Um, he he doesn't really look like a footballer. He looks like some kind of weird student. Um, but he is a very good player, actually, and he is um, he, he's fully deserving of his place, not just in the squad, but in the starting lineup. And when I don't know when you see a player get kind of a tough time from fans or from the media, um, even if you know with Harry Maguire, it's a bit of you know leg pulling more than anything else. Um, it's nice to see them actually kind of show people what they're made of. Likewise, you know, it would be. I, even though I'm not rooting for England in, in this tournament in any way, shape or form, um, there would be something nice about Raheem Sterling turning up and really having um, a good match at some point and, and showing people, you know, showing them the kind of right-wing tabloid media in this country uh, in particular, kind of what, what he's made of and um, that he is actually an underappreciated player. It's It's those kind of, players that you'd like to see really having a good World Cup for England. Yes, I, I totally agree with that last point there, Guto, and I think uh, Sterling and, and Delhi sort of under underperformed uh, certainly yesterday, and uh, maybe maybe they'll they'll play with a little bit more freedom uh, now that the pressure's off uh, against Panama, and they should have a little bit more space and uh, and time to, to do what they can do, that, that everybody knows they can do. So uh, I think I think there's only only an upside for England from uh, from that game. Yeah, I, I agree on the Sterling uh, narrative point as well. Although that match was certainly not his best. Um, <laughs> I have a Manchester City supporting friend that was like, uh, "City are the ones making this Spursy," which is the word <laughs> Steve just used, which I thought was pretty funny as well. Uh, seeing as Walker conceded the penalty, and we're not going to get into it, as we've always said on the show, don't give the referee a chance to call a penalty. And uh, he did give the referee that chance. But kind of on that note, uh, VAR obviously being used at the World Cup. The England match, not at its best. Although I just had a bit of a back and forth uh, with a fan on Twitter basically just before we came on. Where I said that I thought it's been implemented brilliantly. And he, uh, obviously an English fan disagreed. But what I meant was basically every call that a referee has made on the pitch has been correctly judged by VAR, whether keeping it or leaving it. Things that haven't been called on the pitch have very much been a gray area thus far, and I think that's one of the places where it needs to develop. But I personally have been very in favor of how VAR has been used this tournament, that the speed at which it's been used, the accuracy has been very high, far better than what we saw during the FA Cup trial last year. Uh, how have you guys kind of felt about VAR throughout this whole process, both from uh, its implementation in England to how it's being used now? Well, I'm I'm still pro VAR, Kev, in in principle, but cautious in its execution, and I, I want to see it um, implemented with more consistency. I mean, obviously, any technology is only as good as the people who are operating it, and and if we if we thought that it was going to automatically eliminate controversy or or things to talk about in the pub, then I suppose we're happily we're wrong. 
Uh, I think that, that like the quality of refereeing so far, the, the proof of VAR is going to be in the consistency as we go forward. And clearly it's the, it's the execution that seems to be leaving something to be desired, as you hinted at yourself. I mean, uh, you, I'm guessing you were referring to the, uh, the Kane non-penalty. Uh, yeah, that also Pavon for Argentina, which definitely right. should have been looked at. Yes, exactly. So there, there's that, you know, the decision about what incidents actually get reviewed and uh, and that leaves something to be desired. And and, uh, and I'm just, I'm hopeful that the consistency will improve as the tournament goes on. And, and I think what will eventually happen is as the VAR teams of referees start to get mixed up, uh, pretty much in the way that, you know, uh, baseball umpiring teams get mixed up and, and they learn from each other and they learn from uh, from sort of past incidents, uh, that the consistency will, will start to sort of click into place and become more um, more beneficial to the game. And, and I agree, the point that you made about not holding the game up and actually signaling to the crowd when there's a VAR review underway, I think that was the big problem with the FA Cup trial. Well, and if you think back to that, you know, the Spurs game, um, who was it against? Uh, uh, Rochdale, the Rochdale game. Where yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, there was, that was just chaos because... Uh, there was just a pause in the game. You didn't know whether the the VAR was being implemented or you know what was happening. The referee just, you know, all all you you got as a vi- as a visual signal was the fact that the referee had his hand to his ear. Whereas now you you have this very specific process where the referee indicates, much like the rugby referee, where the, where there's a replay and then he goes off the field to actually review it. Uh, and it's not holding the game up particularly. And and if Again, coming back to why I'm in favor of VAR in principle, if it means that we get more right decisions than wrong decisions, then that can't be a bad thing. I've been surprised by how well it's been implemented. I thought there would be some hiccups with referees say, who, who haven't been used to using it in their domestic leagues. Um, but so far, it's been pretty... It, you, you, we can't really complain. It's been pretty smooth and pretty... Um, and definitely getting pretty much everything right i think um you know that before i think there were some decisions where you're thinking actually we've gone to var and uh we're still possibly getting the wrong decision here and um um i don't think that's been happening i think that the penalty decisions that have been given they've been but courtesy of var they've been pretty clear cut and they've been um, and, and and they've changed games, you know, and it just makes you think. Well, if VAR wasn't, would we have actually got that penalty? I'm not. I'm not sure we would have. Um, and and so you know, that does lead to um, fairer results then when referees are making uh, fewer mistakes. Um, I'm. I, I I I'll be honest. I have never liked the system of VAR. Um, I think it's um, tedious. I think it slows the game down. I don't think it's good. I'd be interested to find out what it's like for fans in the stadium because I I. I I I remember in the FA Cup match between Swansea and, and Spurs last season, uh, it was infuriating being in this in the stadium when the VAR decision was was taking place. It was so long, it was so tedious, it was absolutely infuriating. You didn't know what was going on. I'd be interested to know what the experience is like for fans in the stadium because while it could be great for us on t- watching on TV. Uh, if you're sat there in the stadium watching live and there's nothing happening, then that can really ruin the experience. And I think was it the the Serbia match um, the other day that that we had two VAR decisions in in added time, which took up a bit of time and resulted in nothing, yeah. and it kind of killed the atmosphere towards the end of the game. Obviously, the referee thought that 
he needed to go for them and you can see why when you look at the incidents but it still looked like it sucked the the energy out of the game having two so close together in, in the final minutes like that um it's i i the, the one thing i i'm you know cautious about with i i think we've seen quite a few incidents at, uh, in this world cup where a referee may have seen what he thinks is a penalty but he hasn't blown because he doesn't want to risk get getting overturned and he'll think you know i'll let i'll let play go on uh and then if it's you know if if it needs to be a penalty then i will you know blow up and and come back for the penalty but of course var only acts if it is a kind of clear and obvious error and the truth is you go in to get some penalties where it's not clear and obvious maybe but you know you're gonna have to make a judgment call and and eventually what i'm scared might happen is that players will kind of think, well, I may be able to get away with this kind of foul because the VAR isn't going to show it as clear mm. and obvious. Whereas a referee in real time may think, mm, judgment call, that's probably a penalty. We may, the grey area is going to turn into a no penalty every single time if, if that's the route we go down. That's one of my one of my concerns. Um, but it, it, it will be interesting. I think the time to look back at VAR will be at the end of the tournament that's when we'll be able to learn lessons from what worked, what didn't, what can be improved. I just hope the final doesn't turn on a VAR decision. That's the only thing. Mm. I, I, as I say, I do. I, I am broadly in favour of VAR simply because, and here, here's my criteria, uh, the referee should have the same view as everyone sitting at home. And if you have the technology to show an incident from a particular angle that shows it's either a clear uh, a penalty or a clear offside or something like that, then the referee should have access to that to that information at the, uh, as well as the people at home. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful that uh, it'll improve as the tournament goes on, and I'm also hoping that uh, big decisions aren't left to it. Are either of you more interested in seeing it again in the FA Cup next season, which has already kind of been agreed? Do you think that they can learn from these lessons or that they may stick with their previous method, which, as we discussed, was less than elegant? Yeah, I, th- I think that, like I said, they need to learn lessons from the World Cup, see what worked and, and how you can improve it. I've tended, I mean, video video technology, it's coming into football. People who say, oh, I'm, I'm against video technology at all. Well, tough. It's it's going to come in. Every single other sport, pretty much, is going that way. Um, we've just got to find a system which we like and and which is going to, you know, work as effectively as possible with football. That, that's I've in the past been more in favour of a challenge system. I think that would uh, kind of take the pressure off the referee to stop the game and make it a bit more interesting. Giving say the captain or the coach the responsibility of right, we want this looked at, and you know, like. Like in other sports, if 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 that's an incorrect decision, then then you lose that challenge, and the fans hate you for wasting that challenge instead of f- fans hating the referee for wasting everybody's time or getting a decision wrong or something like that. I think that could leave an extra dimension. I also think, when possible, um, the 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 footage should be shown in the stadium so the fans get an idea of what is going on exactly, and they can they can see why a decision is being made. I think um, that's obviously not going to be possible in every stadium but i don't think that's a reason to to just not allow fans in any stadium to see what the referee is viewing i i agree with that last point about showing the incident in the stadium but that's obviously as you say that's going to take a while to implement i couldn't agree i couldn't disagree with you more about the challenge idea i think that's a complete <laughs> nonsense 
and it sends us off down a road where it actually changes the nature of the game. Uh, and because you'd then have a situation where, say, each each manager has three challenges in a game. Uh, when an incident happens and it, he's run out of challenges, does that then instantly mean that 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 becomes legal? That something becomes legal, but simply because the manager has run out of a, a, a means to challenge it? That that seems nonsensical to me. And to, and to actually make that part of the game seems to actually undermine the whole notion of trying to get these things right. Yeah, I, I mean, my, my point of view that, I mean, you had the same situation when it was introduced in tennis, for example, where some players would challenge willy-nilly and they, they would, you know, be made to look ridiculous. With time, you learn when to use your challenge correctly. When When is it a good challenge? When is, a, is it a bad challenge? And, you know, it, it's, it kind of... It's it's it would kind of take the uh, these days you get you know ref managers who will complain about absolutely everything they will moan flat out about a referee's performance etc and if you were to introduce the challenge system it, you know their post match interviews then they'd say ah oh, well the referee got this one wrong and you'd ask well why didn't you challenge it or why did you waste all your challenges earlier on the game when you know you you could you you could have you know, use them more effectively, and then the referee wouldn't have been able to make that incorrect call later on the game. I think that you know that it it would put an extra test into the game. That's just you know that's my opinion. I think that changes the nature of the game. That actually making that a competitive element within the game changes yeah. the nature of the game more than VAR does. It but your does. <laughs> your point your your point is absolutely right about the post match interviews. And here's something I I have always advocated for. Let's have the referee on for post-match interviews. Why should they be immune to being asked, why did you make a certain decision? You know, that seems to me a, a basic tenet of, uh, of trying to get these things right, because that's effectively what we're about here, is trying to get more right decisions. Yeah, that's that's not a bad that. shout either. What the, the thing I've always thought is that referees should just be paid a hell of a lot more. Because they're making decisions that can cost clubs millions upon millions of pounds um, based on promotion or relegation. It can be two million pounds just depending on which place a team finishes in the table that could happen on an erroneous decision. Um, and But the, the downside of that, of course, is if they're higher paid, then people will yell about, well, why are they paid so much if they're still making shit decisions? Because um, kind of tying this back to the Twitter conversation I had right before this um, show... Um, it is hard to get a call perfect without somebody being upset about it because inherently a call is going to go for one team and against another. And at the end of the day, we are still trying to make objective calls about a subjective game. Um, and so there there will be issues. There will be flaws. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just kind of rambling now. But, um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it's difficult. And, and, and as I said in the, in the preamble, I think what... Even instituting VAR, we never thought it was going to be a, a panacea for everything, and it hasn't removed the idea that we can go to the pub and argue about these things afterwards. Now we're just arguing about, was he right to use VAR? Was he not right to go to it then? So uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with how it's proceeding. I just hope that it gets better and better as the tournament progresses. And I think what you were saying earlier about let's try it again in the FA Cup and, and just keep refining the system as it goes forward. All right, uh, any kind of final thoughts from you guys? 
I want to talk about the fact that, um, so far at least, um, one of the traits, of, I mean, there's been tons of traits between lo- loads of penalties and um, domination of, of Europe, European teams on the whole. Another one is the fact that the first goal scored, even more than usual, seems to be extremely decisive in this match. Uh, no team has lost after scoring first. Oh, wow. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's re- I get the feeling that, you know, Tonight, as soon as Russia scored against Egypt, it felt like more of an uphill task than usual for Egypt. And, and, and in every single game, it feels like that first goal, it's just so huge. I mean, part of it is down to the fact as well that so many goals are being scored late in matches. And so no, the teams don't have a chance to react. But first goals in these games, they're so, so decisive. And I think there is... Uh, going to be, I think, for the rest of the group stage, uh, definitely a focus and uh, yeah, an even greater focus and not conceding first. I think we're going to see uh, probably a, a, a safety first approach from a lot of teams who are kind of bordering on elimination slash qualification to, to the next round. That's a very good point. And I think that's why a lot of the games so far have actually been, you know, the first, the opening segments of the games have been, have been generally... Uh, yeah, uh, you know, pretty um, either either the teams cancel each other out, uh, in which case you know you're going to get a good game for the rest of the uh, the, the ninety minutes, uh, or they're just uh, nobody wants to take any risks, nobody wants to expose themselves. Yeah, any kind of final thoughts from you there, Steve? Oh no, I think uh, I, I was I wanted to talk about VAR, but we I think we pretty much covered the waterfront on VAR so far. <laughs> That's uh, no, I'm I'm just excited to see what happens next, and and uh, once we get into the knockout stages, I think it's going to be uh, the matchups are going to be really uh, crucial here. So um, no, I'm I'm very happy with the tournament so far. Yeah, I will say round two doesn't really have as many narratively tantalizing matchups as uh, round one did, but obviously it's still the World Cup. We're still going to find joy in each of those matches, and Steve, as you say, whether it's the decisions or anything else in the game, we'll still have plenty of things to talk about it. Uh, Just a little bit of housekeeping. Our next show should be out Monday after, of course, this one that you just listened to. Uh, That will do it for us today, though. So, guys, if you'd like to tell the folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and thanks for allowing me to talk about something which isn't Swansea City. But if you do want to hear um, us talk about Swansea City, then you can find the Jackcast podcast at the Jackcast on Twitter. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Steve McGookin. Uh, and uh, if you wanted to follow my um, non-football writing, you can get me at Northern Slant uh, or NorthernSlant.com. Uh, otherwise, you can go to at NY Spurs and follow the. Um, North American Spurs discussion there. Thank you, Kevin, for having me back. Yeah, of course. And I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings on the fantasy side of football over at Goal. Uh, And, of course, as always, if you'd like to reach us at the show, you can do so by tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining me, guys. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.